0: This is Gilbert Gottfried, and this is Gilbert Gottfried's Amazing Colossal Podcast with my co-host, Frank Santo Padre. Well, it's my favorite time of year again, and Frank and I are hosting a special Halloween double feature this year by welcoming back two guests and two of the most original, inventive, audacious filmmakers of their generation. Joe Dante is a writer, producer, occasional actor, podcaster, and film historian, and a celebrated director or co-director of much-loved feature films such as Piranha, Gremlins, Gremlins 2, The New Batch, The Howling, explorers twilight zone the movie inner space the burbs amazon women on the moon matinee small soldiers looney tunes back in action the whole among others as well as the popular tv series including Amazing Stories, Erie, Indiana, Police Squad, Splatter, and Twilight Zone. He's also one of the world's leading authorities on world cinema and motion picture history and one of the founders of the wonderful, all-consuming website Trailers from Hell as well as the co-host of the wildly entertaining podcast, The Movies That Made Me, featuring guests like Martin Short, Edgar Wright, William Friedkin, and even his old boss, Roger Corman. Mick Garris is an author, journalist, producer, screenwriter, Edgar Award-winning TV writer, and the director of celebrated features and miniseries for the big and small screen, including Critters 2, Riding the Bullet, The Stand, The Shining, Quicksilver Highway, Desperation, Bag of Bones, Nightmare Cinema, Psycho 4, The Beginning, as well as Stephen King's first original screenplay, Sleepwalkers. He also wrote screenplays for the original stories for films Batteries Not Included, The Fly 2, and Hocus Pocus, and he's written and directed hours of episodic television, for amazing stories, the magical world of Disney, Tales from the Crypt, Once Upon a Time, and the acclaimed anthology series, Masters of Horror, which he also created. He's the host of the essential podcast, Postmortem which has included guests such as Elijah Wood, David Cronenberg, Stephen King, John Carpenter, and his new book is called These Evil Things We Do, The McGarris Collection. Please welcome back for our special Halloween episode, two true masters of horror and two of our favorite grown-up monster kids. Joe Dante and Mick Garris.
1: Well, how are we going to follow that?
0: I, th- yes. I think we're wrapping it up now. <laughs> <laughs> Thank yes. you. These these introductions could also be used as obituaries. <laughs> <laughs> I feel I'm there. <laughs> how, how Halloweenish ish of you. Now, now first, I'll start with Mick. You thought... <laughs> You thought the Claude Rains version of The Lost World was good?
2: I did because, what was I, 10 years old when I saw it? (laughs) And I saw it in the theater. And it was color, and it had dinosaurs in it, even though they were lizards with fake gills. But um, sure, anything like that was great. And Claude Rains was the invisible man. So to a 10- or 12-year-old, it was nirvana.
0: Yeah, because I I hated, I always hated... (laughs) when I'd watch a dinosaur movie and it would be lizards (laughs) and because that that uh even as a kid I couldn't watch lizards there I want stop action well there was always there was always
1: the cruelty factor you know if you really started to think about how did they get them to do that stuff and uh you know how did they glue that stuff on them those fins and all those things uh, but that all started basically with 1, one million BC. Because you know, before that, they'd been stop motion uh, pictures like The Lost World, and uh, and and. But but when uh, when Hal Roach decided to make the uh, one million BC, he 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 did for arguably the best lizards as, as dinosaurs <laughs> that had been done, and also they were they were so effective that that footage ended up appearing in movies for the next twenty years.
2: Oh, so, uh, they would actually
1: wow. write entire movies around the footage from 1 million BC uh, because it was quite yeah. elaborate. I mean, they had their sets, and they had they had a, uh, exploding volcanoes, and they had uh, Earth falling apart, and all that kind of stuff. And all that stuff ended up being used over and over and over um, to a point where finally, I think Erwin Allen, when it was time to make the Lost World, he said, "You know, we <laughs> our pictures in color. We got to do. We can do the same thing. We got to do it. <laughs> we got to do it our, our, ourselves." And, and yet they still copy um, some of the setups and some of the ways that the rear screen was used in, in *Mummy and BC in Lost World, which I and agree, there. was a lot of fun when I was a kid. I mean, it was like, it was <laughs> yeah. a very exciting movie to see on a big screen. Dr. Challenger and, after all, yeah.
0: And they used to, I think, stick pins in the dinosaurs to fasten the uh, uh, horns on them. And then well, they would burn them and poke them to get them to move. Oh, and roll them down the
2: hills. And, you know, I'm now a vegan and have been for years. And so, of course... (laughs) Good for you, Mick. There was no such thing back when I was 10 or 12 years old. But, uh, you know, I I loved Willis O'Brien and Ray Harryhausen and all their creations. But I took whatever I could
1: get when I was a kid. I think we all did. And and I could never figure out how they got them to fight. Because there's always always these scenes where they're fighting, which which harks back to the... (laughs) all the underwater pictures that are uh, constructed around footages of of uh, dinosaur, of, uh, of uh, octopuses and sharks fighting. Because if, yeah. if any low-budget producer got a hold of some good footage of animals fighting, he'd just make a movie around it.
2: Usually Mexican.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and, and also in the uh, Universal Frankenstein pictures, it was constantly scenes from previous films that would <laughs> pop up like when glenn strange in house of dracula is in the fire we see uh lon cheney uh face being burned and uh and boris Karloff being hit by the giant thing and and it was just old scenes from previous frankenstein but that was when
1: they were you know cutting the budgets and these were they were the, show, the series was on its last legs but when those pictures were sold to television you know they were all sold out of order so you know that you did get to see the first the first dracula the first frankenstein the first wolfman the first mummy together but then after that the sequels the, the guys who were programming this stuff had no idea what order these pictures were made in and so when you were a kid you had to piece together <laughs> what the continuity of the series was and it was oh, hard yes. to do because sometimes they would cheat and they, they the the, the he, he would get killed at the end of one episode and then he'd get resurrected in the, other, in the next episode and you you'd have to figure out oh now this is the one where he gets burned and then he comes back and he's, he's got burn marks on him <laughs> and uh, you know they did that with the mummy too and it really got to be until until famous monsters came out and you could actually get somebody to write seriously about the movies you had to just put it together in your own 11 year old head as to what the continuity was for these <laughs> movies, which the first one is, a, is the first Frankenstein is a, a 1930s set movie. It was a contemporary movie. But Bride of Frankenstein, which is this direct sequel, is a period picture. It's the <laughs> yeah. same character. Yeah. Strange. But now it takes place 100 years earlier. Right. Now you got Mary Shelley, <laughs> yeah. the prologue. Exactly. And Gil,
3: Gil, Gil, tell Joe and Mick the, the thing you bit you used to do in your act about the Frankenstein castle.
0: Yes, I I used to uh, grab the, go to the mic and go, ah, no, don't touch that lever. It'll blow up the castle. I had it put it years ago when we built the castle. I, the guy said, you want a it to blow it up? I said, sure. Now I got to be careful not to accidentally throw my coat on it. <laughs> but, you know, the Frankenstein and Wolfman and Dracula pictures, they gave up on, In at least in Bride of Frankenstein, he was burned and his clothes were torn up. But then after that, they gave up on it. It was different time periods, different countries. Yes. And, uh, well,
1: but what was really interesting about the series and all the pictures they were making at Universal in the 40s is they're all set in Europe, and, and it's all during the war, and there's no war. It's, yes. it's, all, it's all in Vassaria, this strange land where there's, there's no, no, no effort to, to worry about the Nazis or anything like that. The only picture from the 40s, monster picture that I can remember that um, addressed the war was Return of the Vampire, which actually mm-hmm. uh, it takes place in a, uh, a bombed-out graveyard during the war. But for the most part, they just sort of ignored it. And it was like wartime horror audiences just didn't want to think about the war. Well, they
2: became kind of kiddie matinees, too, and they were monster mashes. Once it was, see Frankenstein's monsters, see Dracula, see the Wolfman, all in one big movie together. And it really became uh, much more for younger audiences than the originals. You know, the original Frankenstein and Dracula and Wolfman are very adult. They're, They're dramas that they're dramas first that happen to have monsters in them. And later they became monster parties.
0: And when yep. they had the monster parties, what always made me laugh is in the original Hunchback of Notre Dame. He's a completely deformed man, half blind and deaf. And, and then after a while, just being a hunchback made you a monster. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. So they'd have these people that looked 100% normal, but they'd have a pillow in the back of their shirt. <laughs> Well, I, at least at least yeah. when
1: when Jay Carol Nash played it in *House of Frankenstein*, he actually hung out with a, a bunch of real people who were deformed to try to figure out you know who they were and how they acted and how. They, but but by the time they got to the next picture, well, they used this starlet named Jane Adams uh, to play a hunchback by literally sticking a pillow up
0: <laughs> <out> her back. <laughs> and in other words,
1: she was just this cute girl, but in a nurse's uniform. Yeah, but on the poster, it right? was like mm-hmm. a hunchback.
0: Yeah, Yeah, they used to go, Frankenstein, Dracula, a hunchback. (laughs) Not very aware. It was was kind of like uh, uh, someone with a learning disorder. Uh, (laughs) Someone who lisps.
2: (laughs) See, the lisper, yeah.
3: Guys, we had Rick Baker here last year, and and Gilbert and I talked about a movie that comes up a lot on this show, and that's The Black Cat, which I've seen Joe Uh. write about. As one as one of his favorites, and it's 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 a, a film that's impossible to define or describe to anybody who hasn't seen it. It's an
0: acid dream. It's it a really very is. strange
1: film, and and uh, it's uh, Edgar Ulmer it ruined his career uh, because <laughs> they that was the picture where he got kicked off the lot for sleeping with the wrong people.
3: That's right. Oh dear. Uh, yeah.
1: But it's a it's a it's a very very weird movie, and it's a very dark World War One death trip. Um, and um, it, 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 they, there's various claims that it was successful or it wasn't successful. It's only 65 minutes, so I mean, it couldn't have it couldn't have been that many single bills of of the black cat. But it and it was reshot. Like uh, in the middle of shooting, they just said, "No, we can't do this. This is too horrible." Wow. And they wow. went back and they reshot a whole bunch of it to make Bela Lugosi into a sort of a hero because he was just as bad as Karloff in it originally. And he's actually we he skinned him alive in the in the script. There's yeah, a, there's a description of, of the the skinned alive body crawling oh. toward him. You know, and I, I don't know if they ever shot any of that stuff. But by the time Uncle Carl got a look at it, it was like, wait a minute, <laughs> wait a minute, because you know he was he was responsible for taking ten minutes out of Dracula before it was released, much to wow. Todd Browning's uh, chagrin. And if you see the. Spanish version that was shot at the same time at night on the same sets with a different crew. Uh, you see all of the ends and beginnings of the scenes that have been removed from the American version. There's a, there's a great mm-hmm. scene where uh, the maid faints and, and Renfield is crawling toward her and we figure when he gets her he's gonna like vampirize her or something and it cuts away. But in this in the Spanish version you see that what he was going after was that there was a fly on her that mm-hmm. he was that he eats. And that was apparently in the original American version, but it was all cut out.
0: Wow. But well,
2: Black <laughs> it, Cat still remains pretty effective and cruel for its it is. time. It's and, kinky and too. Yet, and it's so artistic. It's yeah. so beautiful, the the use of shadows and, and just the, the horror of that scalpel and knowing that a skinning is about to take place, a flaying is underway. It's beautifully done, and it's Terribly, horrifyingly
1: tense, and it's got so a great happy. music score and, by and many of the great composers.
0: <laughs> and it's got art deco yeah. design with and, and a digital clock. Yep, they have in it. And uh, oh, and, and it has my favorite dialogue, sc- one of my favorite dialogue screw ups from Bela Lugosi, where I guess they uh, they either said. Tear or flay the body. And Lugosi says, Now I'm going to fare the body.
2: (laughs) 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 Oh, it's a combination. It
3: works. Joe, I heard you talking about how you would go searching for those movies in the old days. It was something you'd discover at two o'clock in the morning. And you were talking about how we live in an era where everything is available all the time, everybody has access to this stuff, to physical media. Do you miss, you think it's sad for these kids that they don't have, they don't get to take part in the hunt?
1: well, the, you, Do you know, know what it, I mean? That 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 era, it was a specific era that we were lucky to be in. Uh, lucky in that it was a bonding experience for all of us. And we all have this vestigial memory of the fact that we saw these things together and discovered there were other people like ourselves out there. Uh, and because the movies weren't that easy to see, uh, they, you know, when they were finally Aggregated and put on TV as shock theater, then it was like at least every Friday night and Saturday night, you knew that these pictures were going to run. Uh, but before that, it was like if you wanted to see a movie and you missed it, you had to wait a year for them to run it again. And if it was on in the middle of the night, you had to prop up your eyes with toothpicks and try to stay awake. And of course, you'd <laughs> yep. fall asleep. And so then you'd have to wait another year. And, and so you, it, it became holy grail to, to get to see some of these movies, you know, and, and some of them were just not in the same package that. That your station had and so you would have to try to tune them in from faraway cities where there's there's snowy reception on your tv but you can sort of hear it and sort of see it but it's you've always wanted to see it and you know it's all grainy and it's devil girl from mars which you've never <laughs> heard of but now you don't, now you don't know any more about it than you did before you tried to watch it um but today you know, it's, it's an embarrassment of riches. I mean, not only we have better prints and, and the people have gone back to the negatives and, you know, uh, restored stuff, and, uh, which is terrific. But because of its easy availability and because there's so much else going on and so many other opportunities for people to see things, uh, it's just a little harder to have the kind of intense identification sure. of this stuff that we did
2: i remember going through tv guide every week as soon it was as it would come in the mail and mark everything that was was titled melodrama they wouldn't have the balls to call it horror but it was dracula (laughs) melodrama or the four skulls of jonathan drake melodrama and mark them so that i would know when they were on and be able to stay up and and like joe said you're at two in the morning with toothpicks holding your eyes open but damn it you saw it and you could notch it on your belt
0: yeah. Well, I—I yeah. I, one of my worst moments as a kid was I knew there was an episode of Route 66, Outlet's mm. Outlet Wing and Lizard's Tail, I think it was called. And I knew it had Boris Karloff, Lon Chaney Jr., and Peter Lorre. And yeah. I would check the reruns of Route 66 every day to see if they... And the one day I didn't check. That's the day they showed it. Damn. Damn. And you had to wait another year, as Joe was saying. Yeah. Oh, I waited many years. It wasn't yeah. a good episode, but still. Uh, but yeah. they were yeah. in it. Or Boris yeah. Karloff, yeah. Boris they were
2: Karloff in, in, in The Girl from UNCLE. I remember that. Yes, one sure.
1: That well, I mean. But the whole deal was he put on the monster makeup again for the first time in, you know, since forever. Uh, yeah. and, and it was, it, it's, it's, a, it's a cute episode. I mean, it's, it's very insubstantial. It, it was shot in Chicago at some, because they, the thing about Route 66 is they used to go out and actually shoot it on Route 66 and in different locations. That was one of the things that was fun about it. Uh, and they, they got a hold of this, uh, hotel or, or, or something and they, it had a ballroom in it and they, I guess they said there was going to be a convention of some sort, uh, and the, 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 boys got together to prove that they could still scare, girls or something like that yeah you know, yeah I mean, it's, it's, it's pretty silly but they're but they're they seem to be having a good time and that's all it really needed to have
3: gilbert when you watch it today does it live up to your childhood expectations Couldn't uh, possibly
0: no, no the route no. 66 i mean i'm sure i would have loved it back then right to see the three of them together but now it it's kind of uh, yeah i don't know it just doesn't work
3: you know, we, we never go to questions this early in the show, but since we're talking about universal horror films, uh, Perry Shields, a fan, says, In Mick's and Joe's opinion, what are, their two, uh, what are the two most underrated universal horror pictures?
1: Go ahead, Joe. Underrated. Well, I know you like the old dark house, of them Joe. are underrated because they're not good. <laughs> 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 I mean, you know, there's not a lot of people lining up to see She Wolf of London. Um, I would say Night Monster is one of them because okay. uh, it's got Bella in a red herring role that was all too common for him. Uh, but it's it's a it's it's got a lot of creepy moments and a lot of scary cricket stop chirping kind of things going through the misty moors. Uh, and so that's 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 one that I always thought was uh, a, a little better than than usual. Um, the other if you get to the, they changed so much in the forties because they became B pictures. And then they, and and so the whole assembly line kicked in and they kept, you know, obviously they were, but they're very slickly made. I mean, they're, they're studio pictures, even Mm -hmm. even the ones that are are very cheap, they don't look cheap. I mean, they look like, you know, regular movies. They're just using other people's sets. Uh, And they had good, good DPs then. And the music is usually good. It's usually the same music, but it's always good. I don't know, maybe, I've always had a, a, a guilty pleasure feeling about Captive Wild Woman.
0: <laughs> um, <laughs> captive Wild is, Woman.
1: Which is built around footage from a Clyde Beatty movie called The Big Cage, which Universal made like 10 years earlier. And they hired Milburn Stone because he sort of looked a little like Clyde Beatty, kind of, not really, but from the back he did. Uh, and so they could use all these lion taming scenes uh, that um, were kind of extraneous to the plot. It just that happened to be taking place in a circus. And John Carradine turns this ape into this ape girl. Uh, and uh, she was popular enough to merit two sequels, which is kind of remarkable. And the second sequel is almost entirely stock footage from, from from both of the first two movies. And like a, a bunch of scenes with Evelyn Anchors and, and some other people sitting around in, a, in, a, in an office talking about what happened in the previous movie? It's really not very good. But the the third one is is the captive wild woman with Otto Kruger, and that that one is a little bit better.
2: What about you, Mick? Well, mine aren't as obscure, but I love the Raven. You know, once uh-huh. again, it was it was yeah. Karloff and Lugosi together. And then what was the radio dramas that they? <clears throat> they turned oh, into in, movies inter- but night- inner sanctum inner inter- inter- sanctum, inter- sanctum yeah and and night key was an inner sanctum mystery that i really enjoyed no, no, as a no. kid sadly no, it night-, was-
1: night key was the one where karloff plays an inventor and invents a burglar alarm
2: that's right that's right it wasn't an inner sanctum but no. i liked it it was not your typical karloff performance but it was something i really enjoyed even as a kid and i haven't seen it since i was a kid but i always loved it and nobody else heard of it except joe Um, so I would never uh, none of my peers that's for sure but none of my peers were into the genre and any of that stuff so I was very much an onanistic child when it comes to that (laughs) genre but um, so I just thought it was a great Karloff performance that was kind of unheralded.
1: This is when he was in kindly inventor mode, which he. Did <laughs> <occasionally>. oh, yes,
0: <laughs> yes, yeah,
1: yeah. He invented a burglar. Alarm, he did that in yeah. and "Boogie." The boogeyman will get you. Also, he was There
0: was a weird movie with Bela Lugosi called "Invisible Ghost," and the plot of it is that Bela Lugosi and his wife were in a car. They got into a crash. And the wife actually lived, but the care t- the caretakers of the house, to out of sympathy for Lugosi, keep his wife in the basement and take care of her, but they don't tell him that she's alive. <laughs>
1: and, and so, so when so, she pops up occasionally, he yeah, gets all freaked out because he thinks she's uh, ghost.
0: <laughs> Driving him out of his mind. And they're doing it in a nice, considerate way, which makes no fucking sense.
1: <laughs> it's a monogram picture. You can't expect it to yeah. make sense.
3: <laughs> so both you guys started out doing a little deep research into your into your lives and your childhoods. And Gilbert shares this with you guys. You were you were all aspiring cartoonists.
2: That's
1: true. Yeah, that is true.
2: Yeah, my father had studied art in art school here in Los Angeles and never was able to make his living at it, but he was a very talented artist and had all the training and everything and and did some really great comic strips that never were published. Um, And he had a deal to do a book for King Features, uh, a graphic novel it would be called today. But um, he had a nervous breakdown, raising four kids, working two jobs, and doing this cartooning at night, and never was able to do that. And I inherited some of his artistic ability without the training, but I thought I would make cartoons for my living. And Joe is
1: better at it than me, but, um,
2: but no, it was I've, something I've, I- I've lost
1: to, whatever to facility I had with it, but I, 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 I thought I would make uh, cartooning uh, my vocation until I started looking at all these comic strips and seeing that every day there was a new joke uh, that there was a new gag I had have a gag a day, and I thought I can't do a gag a day. I'm like I can do a gag a week, so I would I would do my own cart. I would do my own comic books with my own cast. I had my own revolving cast of characters and stuff like that. Uh, and then I just sort of devolved into uh, trying to get to art school, and they said cartooning wasn't an art, so I, I had to take you know, something that was similar, and it turned out to be film because the storyboards were like comic books. And what was shoebox theater, Joe? Uh, I, because I was also a film buff, I would, I would draw these things out on these long strips of paper, like in CinemaScope frames, and then I took a shoebox and I would cut the back out of it so that made a little frame. And I, would, <laughs> I would wind these things up into rolls and put them on, on sticks and then put them through the edges of the box and then I did the same you thing You could turn the box as, it, <laughs> as the pictures appeared it was like they were a movie it was like each scene was a different was a movie and of course I, I stole the plots of all the movies i was watching, so.
2: <laughs> I did the same thing using toilet paper rolls that would wind the uh, the strips the long strips i'd taped together to tell a story in that way rather and, than in story didn't together. last
1: for but, a year <laughs> <laughs>
2: Gil, what did you draw I, I, as a kid?
0: I just remember, like Let's the first. It. I don't know if you two remember the first horror film. You have the first one for me was the Indestructible Man. Oh, with Lon Chaney Jr. and uh, and Joe Flynn and uh, <laughs> Joe and Flynn. Ex- oh, and Mikhail's Navy. And, and what's re- the inspector's name? Oh, Robert Shane. Robert Shane, Robert Inspector Shane. Henderson. That's right. Good, <laughs> good, Joe. Uh, Bernie, uh, is it Bernie? Uh, Bernie Couple. No, no, no. Uh, uh, Max Showalter was one of those. Oh, oh, Casey Oh, yeah. Casey Adams.
3: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> he and comes up a lot. Yeah. Uh, 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 Only on this show.
0: Yes. Yes. <laughs> So,
3: Joe, you you wound up spending the money that you were supposed to use on art supplies to go to grindhouses,
1: pretty and much, just, yeah. and
3: just watch this stuff. Double it's features. It's amazing
1: I got through school at all. Uh, yeah, I would. Uh, I, I, I I spent some due diligence having to do the assignments, but uh, I was in Philadelphia, and there were these great uh, wartime um, grindhouses that had been used in the war to. Uh, run newsreels for people who were working in munitions and stuff and they would go home in the middle of the night and they want to know what happened because there was no TV and the radio was off and so they would go to these uh, grindhouses and they would um, see newsreels and uh, one of them the news had a square screen Uh, it was at the end of a long corridor and by the 60s of course they were running cinemascope movies so any movie they ran that was a cinemascope movie was in Enemascope because the (laughs) two sides would be cut off and it would be a square picture. Uh, But still, they ran a bunch of good pictures. And then there was another theater called The Family, which was Uh, ill-named. They used (laughs) to run run triple bills. It was right in the shadow of City Hall. And uh, they ran pictures going back to the 30s. I mean, they ran freaks and and, uh, a whole lot of pictures you would never imagine seeing anywhere. Uh, But they, they specialized in... Uh, movies that you couldn't go to the bathroom during because there were there was so many bad things happening in this theater that the the, the, the scuttlebutt got around pretty much even to college students don't go to the bathroom meaning don't buy anything to drink and don't eat me popcorn because you can't go down into the bathroom you can't do it uh, <laughs> and then and then when I went when I saw the day the earth caught fire there they turned up the the heat so that everybody would be sweating and they would all have to go to the concession stand and get liquid um <laughs> it was uh um, it was a great theater it smelled awful uh, but um uh, i had i spent many a happy hour in those theaters
2: <laughs> and Mickey, you said you weren't movies too you know. he did yeah for yeah. the
1: trades yeah
0: we will return to gilbert gottfried's amazing colossal podcast after this
3: Not Mickey, you said me. you weren't a social kid and but you grew up in the valley right yeah, and you had your own theater. What was the one What was the uh what was the Burt Gordon movie I heard you say your parents dropped you off at instead of uh instead of oh. babysitting?
2: Oh, that was that must have been Food of the Gods. Uh, or, yeah. No, it was before that. It was a no, ghost movie? Um, tormented. Yeah. Oh, tormented. tormented by a ghost woman. That was That's in Reseda, it. I remember. It's, but my family used to go to the Reseda drive-in because, you know, we had four kids and and it wasn't easy. We couldn't afford to go to the uh the movie theaters inside so we would go mostly to the Reseda drive-in which is where Peter Bogdanovich shot um, targets with Boris Karloff Oh yeah but I remember seeing Psycho there with my two brothers and my little sister and it was Mrs Bates Mrs Bates and the hand on the shoulder and turn around the body we would do it to her relentlessly after that didi didi Mrs Bates Mrs <laughs> So, <laughs> so, uh, yeah. But there was another little theater in the valley that we we saw tormented by a ghost woman, and I remember it as being terrifying. Until I saw it again several years ago, and boy, is it dull!
0: Boy, I saw you, it, it I is saw a you review name. it on Trailers from Hell. Oh, that's right. I, yes. Yeah. The funny thing with Psycho is like if it was made a few years later, when they grab onto Anthony Perkins and the wig comes off. That would have been the ending. <laughs> and instead it ends. It's horrifying. It's exciting. And then it goes to Simon Oakland going, okay, uh, what his problem was. was he?" <laughs> yeah, but you got to remember that was a very outré uh, yeah. ending for
1: 1960. I mean, they didn't talk about stuff like that. I mean, And, and, no. and, 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 and that whole spiel is, is aimed at saying, well, he's not really a transvestite. He's real. And and it's all psychological and stuff. And besides, it still leads to that great payoff of him sitting there and saying he wouldn't hurt a fly.
2: Yeah. I mean, when I saw that, it blew my mind. And I never imagined that 30 years later, I would be directing the sequel prequel to that, which was written by the same screenwriter, Joe Stefano.
3: That's right. Well, Yeah. Psycho 4 has just turned 30.
2: Just turned 30, and Psycho, right. the original, just turned 60. Just turned 60. Oh,
3: jeez. Yeah. Gilbert, yeah. that's your favorite Hitchcock picture? Psycho uh, still? Yeah, yeah.
0: yeah. I th- The one that doesn't hold up at all, and I saw it again recently, is uh, The Birds. Hmm. It has certain parts I like, but I don't know. Psycho holds up.
2: Psycho does hold up. I, that's a movie I love. I still love The Birds, though, and, you know, it's... It, You know the whole hitchcock thing he he so created this genre himself and the movies he made were were so uh had such a cinematic personality unlike anyone else's that i can't help but love them
3: i gotta ask you to talk a little bit about working with perkins on psycho 4 do you make yeah (laughs) well well also also i want you to mention olivia hussey because gilbert loves her
2: well he's right Uh, (laughs) <laughs> um, a- a- anyone who meets or loves Olivia Hussey. She's wonderful. Working with Tony was challenging because obviously he knew more about Norman Bates than anybody. And he had directed Psycho 3. Mm-hmm. And critically and financially, it was such a disaster that he wanted to direct Psycho 4, but the studio wouldn't let him. And who do they want to hire but the director of Critters 2? <laughs> the only feature film to my credit at that time. When he hadn't seen That's right. Yeah. That would have quenched the deal. <laughs> yeah, we don't want him. Um, but, you know, he and John Landis were close friends. John was very much on my side, and Ned Knoll, who was the studio executive then um, when we were making it. Uh, so I had a meeting with Tony. We had lunch and, and were there for hours. And everything went great, and, and I was hired, but he wanted to test me. I was a young director. I don't blame him. He wanted to make sure I wasn't just shooting pretty shots or cool shots or, or doing a tribute to something historical, but making something new now. So I was constantly being tested by him. And it, by the time Psycho 3 was in production, there was, um, it went sort of campy. And so I would have these discussions with Tony and very carefully say things, you know, very supportive, but saying, you know, I want to kind of avoid any kind of camp in this scene. It stopped him in his tracks and it was camp. What do you mean by camp? And literally a 45-minute conversation about the definition of camp. Wow. And yeah, there was one scene that is kind of indicative of it. And the fact is, He was right. He did know this character better than anybody else, but I was the only one who could see it from the outside in rather than the inside out and how it related to the scenes he wasn't in and how things had happened before and after those scenes. But we're setting up a scene, and we'd gone over every page of the script together, every single page of it uh, before we started. And we're setting up a scene where um, he's calling in to a talk show to C.C.H. Pounder and there, he gets furious with her and he's in a kitchen and he takes a uh, butcher knife and slams it into the butcher board there in a moment of pique. And so we're setting it up and we're rehearsing it and then it's time for him to do that. And he says, so Mick, this butcher knife, don't you think it's really hackneyed and hoary and been done to death and this and that? And of course we'd gone over it numerous times and just on and on for about five minutes about what a terrible idea it was and I said, you know, why don't we step off the set? Because by then, we'd taken about 40 minutes of talking about it while the the crew is standing around waiting to do their work. (laughs) Waiting. And finally, we walked off the set and talked about, came up with something together. I had a suggestion that worked where he gets furious and kind of snaps an apple in half. And he really liked that. And that replaced the butcher in the butcher board. but. It was a long process and I was constantly being tested. But validation came when we showed it to him at the Hitchcock Theater at Universal when it was done. He went on and on about how it was his favorite sequel and uh, including Better Than His and all of that. And so. Well, that's was, a nice outcome. It was a great outcome. It was embarrassing, but it was nice that at least that happened. So uh you know it was it was worth it and he was great to work with because I learned a lot I'd never worked with a movie star especially not a legend like he was um and I learned a lot about how you a- work with different actors and how you learn to accommodate and encourage and and develop um trust together and he was the first real uh test that i'd had in that regard and i learned a lot from it and i really appreciated um working with him he was an amazing guy and had stories you wouldn't believe
0: and was happy to share them i'll bet now can we talk about the return of dr x <laughs> Why, you can see we you jump want around to talk here talk about the return of Dr. X cuz of the shock of hair. Uh, yeah. i Humphrey Free Bo Zombie. I just I, w-
3: I want a shot at Joe Dante's face when you brought that up.
0: Well, I mean,
1: what is he going to do? Go on suspension? You know, they were mad they were they were mad at him and they said here you got to do this. And you know cuz you know Betty Davis was already walking off and Olivia oh, de Havilland wow. was going to walk off. And, and, you know, it was like, we can't let can't, like, these actors tell us what to do. Well, do we tell them what to do. And so they gave him this assignment. And he was a pro and he did it. But it was, it was supposed to be a Karloff Lugosi picture.
0: Wow. Yeah. And and Bogart looks so out of place. <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> but he doesn't walk through it. He really, he's committed his best, you know.
2: And his hair really deserves an award I, on its the, own.
0: The white thing in that. <laughs> yeah,
2: way. the skunk do. Yeah. I I sent Gilbert to trailers from
3: hell yesterday, and Gilbert, you got lost down that hole. Yes.
0: Yeah. <laughs> as I told, as I told you, you would. Yeah. I was watching one after the other. I couldn't stop. And, and it just makes addiction. you want to see the movies again. Yes. And uh, oh, there was a movie non-horror. That uh, one of you brought up, I remember seeing it in the theater, and that's the Patsy with oh. Jerry Lewis. Oh, I always liked the Patsy. <laughs> Me too. I,
1: it's it's It
0: It's <laughs> it's got like a lot. Well, I one of it's got my favorite setup for a joke. And that's when he's meeting with uh oh what's his what the fuck I uh the German uh guy Hans Conried. He's uh-huh. meeting with Hans Conried who and and they introduce it as saying, well, not only is he the greatest music teacher in the world, but he also has the largest collection of priceless antiques <laughs> <laughs> and it's like oh, right, here's the joke folks
3: <laughs> i can't remember if it was joe or mick who was who was uh, who was reviewing I think the I did that trailer one. yeah I think that, that was, was joe. joe
2: yeah uh, did you ever hear the blooper reel of the commercials jerry lewis did for that uh, no, no I don't think, amazing! Oh,
3: oh, is that the is that the Martin yeah. and Lewis thing where they're? No, that's where they're, that's different. no, no.
1: This oh, was oh, that's the, the caddy. Uh, yeah. yeah, the caddy. And the right. Patsy. I... Go
0: see the Patsy with a big cock on it. Yeah. You
1: know? it was... it's, the same, it's the same jokes he did with Dean, except he just did them himself. Yeah.
3: <laughs> some really great choices there, though. I wrote some of them down. Uh, Joe's talking about Ghost of Frankenstein, which is near, mm-hmm. dear to our heart. And I told Joe we had Janet Ann Gallo here a couple oh, of years uh... ago, Gilbert. Son of Dracula. And Gilbert, tell Joe and Mick what uh, the middle name that you almost gave your son.
0: I wanted, uh, our son was going to have a middle name that my wife said should, has to be an A. And I wanted to <laughs> name him Alucard, the middle name. <laughs> so i be Max Alucard Gottfried. For some reason, she didn't go for that.
2: My favorite band used Alucard as the name of their music publishing company, Alucard Music. What was the band? Gentle Giant.
3: Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Here, here's some other ones. Mick, you talked about Karloff and Black Sabbath, mm. which which we love. Yeah. Uh, a couple of castle pictures. Mick, you talked about House of uh, House on Haunted Hill. Oh, sure, the, yeah. How do you guys feel about The Tingler?
1: Oh, come on. How can you not love The Tingler? It's, <laughs> it's one of the most ridiculous movies ever made. Uh, And it was made to be a gimmick movie. It was made for the gimmick of people thinking that the tinglers loose in the theater and they shut off the lights and they buzz every fifth seat or whatever it is. And people start to scream and people who didn't get the buzz are going, what's wrong with them? And it's like this pandemonium. And also the lights are out in the theater, which you could never do today. They would never right. let you put all the of lights course. out. Of course. Know? Did
2: you see it with the with the buzzers, Joe? Because yeah, I, did. I was I was too young to see it in the well, theater. Well, it time. was
1: it was if you've ever seen the 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 guidebook that they sent to the exhibitors to yeah. install the buzzers. You know, <laughs> I mean, it's like it's like a phone book. I mean, you, you i have no theaters, I'm not gonna do this. This is wasn't ridiculous. Bob Burns one
3: of the guys putting those? He told us that, didn't he, Gilbert? I think so. No, Bob was Burns involved? was one of
0: the guys installing. If anybody Intercepto. would
1: put him in there, it would be Bob.
0: Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. and And yeah. of course, Vincent Price screaming, scream, scream for your lives, <laughs> the loose in the theater. <laughs> and, and then it ends, after he's, they're all screaming and he's saying, scream for your lives, and they're going hysterical, he goes, we now return to the movie. <laughs> <laughs> I got to meet him
2: once when I was in college, and you met Vincent had, Price yeah, he had put yeah. together um this movie that was basically him telling four post stories reading four post stories, and it was a pilot for a series that. Obviously, it was just too cheap to ever make it to the air. But he came to the local TV station, and I was in college, and I heard he was going to be there. And and my grandmother knew him when he was buying art for Sears. He was a, a, a major uh, connoisseur of art, and I don't know how that goes hand-in-hand hand with Sears, but <laughs> <we> figure that <laughs> I out. I remember that. But he he was so gracious and so kind and so... Polite tall, and sweet. So tall. <laughs> and very tall, very tall. He he towered over me and I was six feet, so.
1: I you but, met him uh, too, didn't you? I, Wait, I, I, so. met, him, I met him at uh, a, what twice. A friend of mine named uh, Mark Goldblatt did a picture called Dead Heat, which is one of Bryce's last pictures. So I, I met him on that and he was, again, just so much fun. And uh, and also they, Fangoria did some tribute to him at some convention or or other, whatever, and I was the host, and so I brought him up on stage and asked him a bunch of questions and stuff. That mostly the Tom Weaver gave me, and it was and it was great. I mean, he was he, he was he was one of the reasons I like the Tengler is that he is the character in the Tingler. I mean, that's that's <laughs> his. he didn't even bother playing anybody. It's like that's that's who he really was. That was that was just his persona. And it was, and it was, it was, it was just so much fun to be around.
0: And I met him twice. The first time was on Alan Thick show, Thick of the Night. And, wow. and I had just done some bits uh, where I was doing imitations. And when I sat down, uh, I felt a hand on my shoulder, and I turned around. And it's Vincent Price, and he goes, "I loved your Peter Laurie." <laughs> <laughs> And, uh. and then a couple of years later, I ran into him at some horror award show. And I said, look, you probably don't remember this, but we met on Thick of the Night. And he goes, oh, yes, that was a terrible show. <laughs>
3: Mick, I want to talk. I want to talk about matinee and and uh, and and Joe's wonderful matinee, the tri- yeah. tribute to well uh, Castle. But, but why do you love uh, House on Haunted Hill so much? In a Merjo, well, did you see it in a merjo, by the way.
2: I did not. Again, well, I was yeah. a little too young to catch it in the theater when it came out. But I just love haunted house movies. Me too. And you know, this one it doesn't really hold up. It's really slow, and not a whole lot happens. But when somebody gets thrown into a vat of acid and arises as a skeleton, what kid could not love that? Even though the skeleton is on with no cuts, on and on and on, so it's obviously a full-size marionette mm-hmm. and it just looks fake as can be. But it just was so much fun and the screaming hag in the, in the, in the attic and, you know, it, it just... And it was Vincent Price. And, you know, one of my pet peeves is movies that are supposed to be supernatural and turn out not to be. And they were all planned to scare somebody to death instead. And it's one of those. But it's the one that hit me when I was a kid. And it just had an impact because it had all those elements. Watching it now is is kind of a tedious experience. And Bill Malone's remake of it is really good, especially the opening sequence it doesn't have much to do with the original movie at all, but it's really good. Um, anyway, it it's just one of the formative films of my youth. And, and with Trailers from Hell, I always like to talk about a movie that affected me personally
1: in some way.
3: Sure. Yeah. I think, Joe, I think, Joe, you did talk about the Tingler on Trailers from Hell.
1: I wouldn't be surprised.
3: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, Gil, Gilbert, you remember the old film Forum when it used to be down on Watt Street? oh yes they did a castle uh, festival and they tried bless their hearts they tried so oh. hard to, to recreate a merjo with a clothesline uh. <laughs> it, <laughs> they, they weren't going to wire the seats though no no percepto
0: <laughs> you no. know what i've never seen but heard is good i saw the non-3d version was they were two or three three stooges movies that were done in 3d well they were shorts yeah, yeah.
1: Uh, Pardon My Backfire is one, and uh, <laughs> Spooks, I think, is another one. Um, they used to run them at the Tiffany Theater when the Tiffany was running old movies. They they had a whole, a whole big oh, Tiffany on Sunset festival, even before the one they did at the Egyptian. And they would run, they ran It Came From Outer Space and and, and Creature in the Black Lagoon and all that. But they, they always ran the Stooges shorts because um, they were so popular. And they're... And it's such basic 3D. I mean, they it just throw things at you. It's, <laughs> it's you know, go. You want to get your eyes poked? Here's here's.
0: Uh, yes, yes. Boink.
1: Here's Mo's most right at you. <laughs>
3: Is that, that weird? That weird uh, 3D revival in the 80s, Gilbert? With what was it coming at you? Coming at you was oh, the Oh yes. <laughs> yeah. And,
0: and, and a stewardesses of, 3D. Yeah, yeah. yeah there was yeah. softcore porn <laughs> That was... <worked. laughs>
2: giant memories coming well, they, at you in 3
1: the stewardess is, is one of the crummiest 3d movies ever it, 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 one thing about 3d is if you if you have no money and all you can do is stand people against a background don't put them against a wall <laughs> put, them against, <laughs> put them against a window put them against something <laughs> that you can see through but it's just it's just a, a, a tragedy of what of 3d proportions
0: what I found with the early 3D, like House of Wax strikes me that way, it looked like there was depth in the, the scene, uh, but it the characters and, and furniture and actors all looked like a pop-up card. Yeah, like Viewmasters. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yes, yes. They, they look like one of those cards that pops up. And uh, cause it's like, so the actors looked flat.
3: But you gotta yeah, love was, the paddle ball, man.
0: Yeah. Uh, yeah, that was the only really effective part of House of Wax.
3: Yeah, Joe, well, I gotta, com- I gotta bring up matinee. Yeah. Uh, and and I wish movies were in a Tomo Vision. By the way, I wish, <laughs> I, I wish there were movies in theaters at all. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. but uh, it's, it's just names. got. It's a passion project, obviously. I mean, you won't you won't find a movie that's more of a Valentine uh, uh, than than that. To uh, I understand loosely based on Castle. But was the Castle family fond of the picture,
1: Terry Castle? Uh, I, met his, uh, I met his daughter. She seemed yeah. to be very, uh, very happy with it. They um, must have been. It's such well, a love letter. You know, it's, it's a it's a rosy picture. <laughs> it's not unlike, I mean, the character that John Goodman plays is not unlike uh, the spirit of, of Castle and, and the, the, the things he wants to do and the way that he um, wants to bring his art to the masses. Um, but... Uh, it's it's you know it's not it's not just Castle it's also um, those uh, Ray Dennis Steckler who did those live action uh-huh. um, you know monsters jump out of the screen things uh, and uh, you know there's a little bit of Corman in there and um, and and, he, and we cheat because you know he's making a giant bug movie and by 1962 they really hadn't stopped making giant bug movies but we we just you took buy the it. license. Yeah, Yeah. It's it's
3: got a lot going for it. It's got a Jerry Goldsmith score. It's got Dick Miller. It's got William Shallert. It's got (laughs) Jesse White, for Christ's sake.
1: (laughs) It was was a nice movie, and we almost didn't get to make it because uh, the money ran out when we were shooting in Florida, and uh, Universal came in and saved the day and uh, picked up the movie. But, of course, then they sold it like it was a Universal picture, which meant that it had to open in a zillion theaters all in one day. And it wasn't that kind of movie. It was one of those movies where you're supposed to open it slowly like Miramax used to do so people could find it and then you'd talk about it and, you know, but instead it was like here on one weekend and gone the next. But um, but at, like like so many movies from that period, um, home video. It's a rescue. movie a lot of people love. And now more people have seen it on video yeah. than ever saw in a theater.
3: Roger Ebert's website, Ebert.com, they had a lovely uh, write-up about it. for uh, oh. for the for the uh, if, if, you, if you haven't seen it. For the 25th yeah. anniversary. Really a sweet and picture.
0: The, you mentioned the big insect movies, and uh, like the first of those, I guess, would be them. Yeah. And mm-hmm. then there was a direct ripoff, <clears throat> Tarantula, which I think is a better movie than them.
1: No, I, I love Tarantula, but it's not a better movie. <laughs> yeah.
0: <I, laughs> Empirically. <to me>, yeah. <laughs> to, to me, it's so much fun, Tarantula. And Clint Eastwood uh, in it, too. Yeah. Uh, yeah, you, yeah. But he's
2: covered he up.
1: Lives. You can't see him. You, yeah. you can see him better in Avenger the Creature. <laughs> yes. The mouse out of his pocket.
3: Speaking of giant bugs and giant things, I can't believe Amazing Colossal Man is not covered on Trailers from Hell. This is clearly an oversight.
1: Well, it's something that gotta, has to be rectified. You have to find people who like these pictures. Uh-huh. Well, you, <laughs> you talked know.
3: about Cyclops, and, and and Mick talked about the Tormented. yeah. yeah. So, you so, 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 is you,
1: you have two things. You got to like the picture and you got to find a trailer. A trailer with decent enough quality to be able to use. And some of these trailers have just gone MIA. I mean, there are movies I would love to do on Joseph Hell. The Black Cat, I'd love to do. There's no trailer for The Black Cat. There's not even a reissue trailer for The Black Cat. I mean, most of these things just, you know, by the wayside. So we're, we're, we're a little stymied in, you know, the, in what we can do and what we can't do. I've got a, I've got a really good commentary on The Incredible Shrinking Man by Ileana Douglas, and I don't want to run it until I can find a better trailer, because the trailer for that picture is just all fuzzy and crappy looking. and I, just, I hate to foist that kind of <clears> stuff on people. So we've had this thing in the can for over a year, and I'm still looking for a better trailer.
2: It's such a and, great movie too. Yeah,
1: yeah, it's fun movie. And for
0: Colossal Man, and then followed by Colossal Beast, it's it's so funny because the effects were so cheap you could see through a <laughs> monster. He was like transparent. Well, that was true. of The fifth one Gordon as well.
3: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bert's still with us. In his night, was he ninety eight?
1: Bert is wow. still with us, and he always. We tried to. We wanted to get him to do trailers from Hell, and he said, "I don't look back." I only look. Yeah,
3: we, same. We got the same response when we looked into having him. But but somebody we did have here is a friend of both of you, of you guys, and that's the late, Great Larry Cohen.
1: Uh, oh, Larry. Oh, what a what a, uh, what a what a raconteur. Uh, what a yeah, character. Uh, oh, complete. So what, yeah, what can are, I you,
2: can I tell you uh, my favorite and the ultimate Larry Cohen story? Please do. Um, the director Bill Malone and I were very good friends with Larry. I'd known him for decades, and uh, we knew. It was close. The end was near. And we both wanted to see him at his home. I talked to him on the phone. He invited us over. His daughter had us come up to his room. We went into his room. He's up on one elbow, waves to us, says, goodbye, goodbye, and then collapses and then starts to giggle. He was (laughs) fucking with us. And, And he died the next day.
0: Oh. oh, so
1: that was the kind of guy Larry was. Anything for a laugh. Larry was Larry was a great guy. He 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 used to do a bunch of trailers from Hell for us. And uh, yeah, one day he came up. in and he he did whatever he was supposed to do. And he said, uh, "You got anything else you want me to do?" And I I happened to have a trailer for the Ten Commandments, which which, which is a, 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 it's Cecil B. DeMille introduced in the movie. It's a ten minute long trailer. Oh, yeah. Larry, <laughs> I said, "Do you want to see it before you do it?" No, just run it. He <laughs> extemporaneized for ten minutes on <laughs> wow. the Ten Commandments. Did not get a single thing wrong. Filled with facts, a great, a, a wonderful um, dissertation on the Ten Commandments. And it's one of the few trailers that we've lost in our when we when we, we upgraded oh. into our new site. And so now it doesn't exist anymore. But it was oh. it was it was just such a it was just such a thrill to watch him do it.
0: When we had him on the podcast yeah, we loved when him. we were wrapping up he, you could tell he wanted to stay he would have stayed for a few <laughs> yeah. more months. Yeah.
3: <laughs> we, had, oh, we did we did almost 2 hours with him and he didn't want it to end.
2: He said <laughs> well, that's he it. Was, he was a burst it. Belt stand up. I know. He, he, he was
1: amazing. He, he was, was he has missed. Wonderful. We have God
2: cool. told me to
0: is such a good movie. Yeah. Oh, what a wild film. Yeah. Yeah, and when we, you'd listen to him, you'd go, I, I wonder if this story's total bullshit.
2: <laughs> yeah, he, it might
0: have been. <laughs> well, some Does of them it got matter? a little embellished
1: as he went <laughs> on.
3: Remember we had Tony Lobianco on the podcast, Gilbert? We asked yes. him about God Told Me To. Yes. He said he, he said he grabbed Larry Cohen at the premiere and he said, My mother's here! <laughs> <laughs>
0: And uh, there was that uh, that movie it did um, House, not House of Wax, uh, the other Wax one, with what's his name? Why do I forget his name? When Mystery of the Wax London Museum. What's
1: his name? Oh yeah, yeah, uh, yeah that the, one. Yeah. The guy,
0: the guy we've had him on the podcast, the king of uh, of the cheap uh, Roger Corman. No, no, the the actor. Oh, we had Dick Miller here. Dick Miller. Oh yeah, yeah. that yeah. one where he's he's bar- killing people. Oh, bucket and, of blood. Oh, bucket yeah. of blood. A yeah. lot of fun that movie. That's great.
1: Yes, <laughs> it is tort- torturous as it was to arrive at it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
3: but, it's, but but I'll take I'll take the segue. Why don't you guys tell a Dick Miller story? Joe, well, you were Joe close to Joe knows him best. Yeah. Uh, you were, Dick, you were close. Just, and just let's plug, about... let's plug that Dick Miller book too, by the way.
1: Yes, uh, and and the uh, and the. Um, Documentary, Great guy, documentary. Moore, which is yeah. a very good documentary.
3: We loved having him here.
1: Uh, he's, you know, we're only talking about people that we miss now. This is depressing. Um, he was, uh, you know, I, I'd always enjoyed watching him in, in, in movies. And when I got a chance to make a movie, I wanted to put him in my first movie. And then we got along and I decided I wanted to have him in every movie. And so for the most part, I was able to, every every script I would read, I would read for two reasons. One is, am I going to do it? And two is there a part for him? <laughs> and sometimes it'd be a big part sometimes it'd be a little part but he was that kind of actor you know he could just it didn't it didn't matter oh, yeah and he always yeah. made an impression i mean he's he's in the terminator for like i think two minutes if that and it's and it's a it's one of the best scenes in the movie um he never let you down and that's why it was i guess doubly unfortunate that when he went to see pulp fiction uh to the premiere of pulp fiction yeah. which he was in uh Quentin turned to him and said hey what are you doing here because nobody oh. had remind, nobody had told him that he wasn't in the movie anymore. Oh, yeah. That's why it happens when you're like a, a character actor. You know. And, Is
0: there and, a story? He,
3: go, go ahead, Gil.
0: No, I was saying. He, I saw the scene. They showed it on something, and it was a scene with him and Harvey Keitel, which mm-hmm. was great to see the two of them together. When yeah, you are doing it research an
1: extra on, on a DVD.
3: When you're doing research for a show like this, as you guys both know, because you have your own podcasts, you know, some shows are more fun to research than, than others. And doing, a, <laughs> di- doing the Dick Miller research, you know, even finding stuff like the ventriloquist bit that was cut from Amazon Women on the Moon joke that, oh. you, that, you, that yeah. you shot, where he gets stuck with the French dummy. Yeah. <laughs> just, he's great in that. Or, or, or his scenes in The Howling, where he just, yeah. he's a terrific actor.
1: Yeah, that's why you he's know. in my movies. I just enjoyed watching him, and he wasn't yeah. in enough, peop- enough of other people's movies. And then when I started using him, he was in other people's movies. So
0: <laughs> and oh, and always then good. He, he told us a story. He was doing a picture that was so low-budget it was a Western. So he actually shoots himself because he's a cowboy <laughs> Wiring a, a gun. Oh, it's Apache yes. woman. Yes. And then, as an Indian, he falls over dead. That's <laughs> <laughs> meta. That's called meta. We will return to Gilbert Gottfried's amazing colossal podcast, but first, a word from our sponsor.
3: Mick, tell us something about working with one of Gilbert's favorite character actors in mind, Charles Durning.
2: Oh God, Charlie was the best. He would come onto the set. I've worked with him twice in Desperation on a mini series called The Judge. And he he played the judge. And he would come on the set singing and dancing and happy. And you know, it, we would sing together in a in a duet. I would be the tenor to his also tenor. And he brought up everybody. He made everybody, and he was there he had studied he knew everybody else's parts as well as his own and just one of the happiest men i've ever known in my life and could turn on a dime and he, if there was something some kind of change you felt was necessary for the for the scene you were going to do he was there for you he i never saw him complain in my life he was just the kindest And really good, you know. Yeah, could do anything. In desperation, it got very emotional, his part. And he was attacked by a cougar in that. And I don't mean an eager middle-aged woman. But... uh, (laughs) But we actually had a mountain lion on the set. And of course, he didn't battle with the mountain lion, but he did with the fake mountain lion head and arms and everything. But he's rolling around the floor and struggling with this stuffed beast. And he just was so game for everything. And it, it was going to be a happy day if Charlie was gonna be on the set. One of our favorites.
0: He had such an interesting life too, because- Oh yeah, Batan, yeah. Yeah, World War II hero and then he was a dance instructor and a price fighter (laughs) and a great dancer but do you know the Batan story
2: no he was in the battle of bataan on the shore and he was stabbed in the neck he's got a he had a big scar on his neck from that happened and he had to lie still motionless under piles of dead bodies to keep from being slaughtered that was how he got out of it he he maintained a death-like stillness under piles of corpses at that time and that's how he survived Bataan. Well,
3: we understood he didn't like talking about it very much. He, he didn't like talking didn't, about his war experiences.
2: No, he did talk about that with me uh, when we were shooting and it was uh, astonishing and horrifying and you could tell he still felt it very, very deeply. But he was a really wonderful guy and greatly missed. We're talking about all these people we really miss how old are we wait a minute <laughs> well it's a
1: halloween episode it's got to be a lot
2: of dead
3: uh, we're in, we're, <laughs> <in> a, <laughs> yeah. we're Go a nostalgia so. show we'll bring here's, them back yeah here's a question <clears throat> from from a fan uh, marty richardson for both of you uh what are each of your favorite hammer films and why and james roman wants to add to that would you please talk gilbert out of his dislike for hammer films
1: <laughs> well yeah, gilbert gilbert is not alone my friend tom weaver uh who is a, a big horror movie buff uh it does not like the hammer films either he's a universal guy uh but um i think that's kind of short-sighted personally yeah. um, i mean the, the, one of the reasons that we still have a genre is because it was revitalized by these guys in the 50s and uh he, the the the, the 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 success of those pictures led directly to the Poe pictures and to a lot of stuff that happened in the 60s. Um, And they were just a little small company that managed to have a couple of hits, and they realized, well, maybe we should capitalize on this, and let's find some people who know how to do it and like this kind of stuff. Uh, I saw Curse of Frankenstein when it came out, and it gave me nightmares. I saw Horror of Dracula when it came out, and it gave me nightmares. And I'm I'm old enough to have seen them when they were new. And believe me, the impact was amazing. I mean, these pictures were not like anything else you had seen. And this was pre all the old universals going to television. So these were the first Frankenstein and Dracula pictures I had seen. Oh. Um, And they made an indelible impression. Um, And My my favorite Hammer films, oddly enough, are not not those pictures. I I, I like the the Quatermass pictures. Uh, The two Quatermass pictures I think are great. And um, a picture that Joseph Losey made called These Are the Damned, which is a science fiction picture, which I think is a great underrated movie. Uh, but they made a, they made a, a lot of movies, and a surprising number of them were really good. And uh, obviously, they benefit from the fact that they had this really good acting pool of really good people who could do Shakespeare, and then could also do Bram Stoker if they wanted. Mm-hmm. And the, the technical quality in the book movies is really good, even though they're cheap. Um, and I just I think it's a, I that, they didn't give them the Queen's Award for Industry for nothing.
3: Yeah, there well, you go, Gilbert. Danny. You've been you've been schooled. <laughs> yes, the nanny,
1: the, nanny also, yeah, yeah. the nanny is a Hammer film, but it's also yeah, great. Yeah,
2: The Nanny is one of my favorites. It mm-hmm. is never thought of or talked about as a Hammer film because it doesn't have Peter Cushing or or uh, Christopher Huy in it. Um, but yeah, I saw them on TV first because I wasn't old enough to see them in the theater in 1957 and 1958. But um, when I did see them in color... It was a revelation because they were the first people to do horror movies in color. And it it was striking, the richness of the production design and all these things that normally are very expensive in movies. But these were films made very cheaply all at the Bray Studios and everything. But the most underrated, maybe Horror of Dracula is my favorite, but I think The Nanny is a masterpiece. It is tense, every moment of it, and this is not true of everything of the period, but it's captivating there's not a dull moment in it the acting is wonderful and betty davis is so reserved in her performance at a time in her career when a lot of it was grotesque overstatement mm-hmm. and in this it's very subtly played and it gets deep and she's really committed to it and really good at it and and that's something gilbert if you have not seen that i cannot recommend it
1: enough
0: i saw that on tv like but it was a thousand years ago
1: <laughs> well, you that, can look man. up you can look up my trailer from Hell commentary, and you'll learn lots of interesting things about it.
0: Oh, and another movie because we were talking about those monster mash movies of House of, you know, House of Frankenstein, House of. Dracula. <clears throat> the mashups. And and the one that is the biggest, better than House of Frankenstein, and House of Dracula, I think, is Abbott and Costello made for yeah. Frankenstein.
2: Even though it killed the, the, the universal horror movies um, because nobody could take them seriously anymore, I think it's fantastic. And it's the movie, other than A Hard Day's Night, it's the movie I've seen most. Wow. Yeah.
0: And, oh, another film that had uh, all the actors there, so it was fun to see them, even though they were all at their worst. Uh, was the Black Sleep? I
1: knew you were going to say that, <laughs> <laughs> Joe. I warned you about the Black Sleep. As soon as he said at their worst. <laughs> you know, well, there's of, a trailer Bale, from Hell about the Black Sleep. Basil Rathbone isn't at his worst. He's actually really good in that movie, considering the material. Uh, but but it is it's it's a it's a pretty ridiculous movie, and 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 it is a kind of a throwback because at that time they weren't really making those kind of movies anymore. Uh, And I guess all these guys were happy to, you know, get the job. Uh, I I do remember there was a a lot of photos of them all going to lunch at the Tale of the Cock restaurant, uh, (laughs) which used to be on on La Cienega, as part of some publicity thing. And they were all in makeup. (laughs) (laughs) When they got got dumped off in front of the place, people must have been screaming and running up the street.
3: (laughs) You name another podcast that's going to ask you about the black sleep, Joe. This I can't is, think of a this, single this, one. This is the one. I want to talk about horror anthologies too, because we talked the last time you were here, Mick. Yeah. Uh, you're, you're sort of, as I was telling you through email, you're sort of the uh, the keeper of the flame with horror anthologies. <laughs> uh, and uh, Joe was talking about the uh, the Amicus ones, the, the the great British ones that we that we yeah. grew up on, House to Drip yeah. Blood, and yeah. and uh, and Torture Garden. Yeah, I um, guess I guess Taylor. I guess Taylor
2: Tales really from, the Crypt, and Tales from the Crypt, horror and from the Crypt, and what's the one? Bertie, Tales witness Madness.
0: Yeah. Oh, and, and the theater, in the theater, in theater, I remember <clears throat> seeing Doctor Terror's House of Horror. Oh yeah, that
1: was the first one. Yeah, yeah. I really,
0: and,
3: I really, miss them. But but Mick, you brought you brought it back uh, with with uh, with Masters of Horror.
2: Well, it was a little different. You know, I had I had directed a couple of anthologies, on a couple anthology series first, mm-hmm. Amazing Stories and right. Tales from the Crypt and Freddy's Nightmares, but I loved anthologies because it was a different story every week. It wasn't serial, it didn't continue. And you wouldn't have to have seen every episode. But in this case, it was hour-long movies, but it was also giving great filmmakers the freedom to do what they wanted the way they wanted to without interference. And so even more than it being an anthology, it was, um, I was an enabler to these filmmakers who often did not get an opportunity to make films that were really personal to themselves. Said, here's $2 million in 10 days, do it on time and on schedule. You can do whatever you want. And it it really seemed to bring out the best in, in people like Joe and, and you know, uh, Toby Hooper and John mm-hmm. Carpenter and Takashi Miike and all that, and uh, and I have another couple of them planned. And Nightmare Cinema, the movie which Joe yeah. also is a part of, another um, anthology, had the same philosophy: only get people from around the world who who express their vision with a personality unlike everybody else's. Something everybody who has a unique cinematic personality and um uh, i'm uh we're working on maybe turning my my book into an anthology series as well but um it's just a format that i think is exciting because it offers different points of view and you know when it was tales from the crypt great show but it was the boobs and blood show mm-hmm. and they had a style and a look that was fairly consistent throughout and it was self-mocking and you know tongue in cheek often but the idea of, of just going to people and, and having standalone stories that they want to tell, whether they were their ideas or we brought stories to them that re, they responded to. Joe brought in both of the ones he did for Masters of Horror, and they were two of the most um, most popular. And Homecoming oh, yeah. at the I just Terino, watched
3: Homecoming last night, it's wild. Oh, at the, at the <laughs> Torino Film
2: Festival in Ter, Torino, Italy, which is not a genre festival, it got a ten-minute standing ovation. I it can was imagine. Amazing and, and timelier fantastic.
3: than ever, I might say.
1: Homecoming. Yeah, I agree with
3: you. <laughs> Right? Don't you think, Joe? Kind of
1: stuff never goes out of style. Seen face the crowd
3: lately? Yeah, I know what you're talking about. But a great Ann
0: Coulter parody, and and, and a movie that's uh, just a nightmare in itself. And that's Bela Legosi meets a Brooklyn girl.
3: <laughs> it's a, it's a Dante. It's on trailers from Hell.
0: Yes, yeah, of course, <laughs> with uh, Duke Mitchell and Sammy Sammy Petrillo. Petrillo. Joe yes. covers it. Gary, Gary, how much he was a clone of Jerry. Lewis.
1: Well, he was hired by Jerry to play Baby Jerry on the Colgate Comedy Hour, uh, and uh, <laughs> then when he went off and started to do Jerry as a as a shtick and then hired this other guy who was sort of like Dean Martin, they were not amused. And when I was a kid, I saw that picture on television under the title, Boys from Brooklyn, and I thought it was a Martin and Lewis picture. <laughs>
0: <laughs> he looks and sounds exactly like the young Jerry Lewis. It's so strange.
3: My dad knew Duke Mitchell very well. I'm almost embarrassed wow. to admit that. Wow. <laughs> yeah, just, throw, just throwing it in from the same part of Brooklyn. I'm impressed. Uh, I'm going to tell our listeners too to check out Masters of Horror. I watched your your uh, your first season uh, uh, segment, uh, Mick uh, Chocolate, huh. which is totally disturbing. And I don't know how your Good. mind works and how you come up with things <laughs> like that. I, you, I will use the word unsettling. Uh, uh, and Joe's homecoming is with with uh, with the great Robert Picardo,
1: who was an American treasure like Dick Miller. Yes, true. You should have him <laughs> really? on the show. He's very funny. We he's got a have on the him. Website you got I, to go to his website he does these characters i mean he's I, I see the
3: piano the piano uh, the lounge lizard that he plays on twitter
1: <laughs> right but there's a, he's he's he doesn't attack and count that he, he does and he's we uh, gotta he, have him on and in COVID, he just he plays a whole bunch of characters and interacts with himself
0: and i remember i i met him and i went up to him and said uh you know me, but I don't know you. Why is that <laughs> right, boy?
3: <laughs> I got to talk quickly, too, about The Howling, which is turning 40 next year. Oh uh, one, one of our favorites, Gilbert and mine. And Joe, you say werewolves, werewolf movies never go out of style. Why?
1: But you know, they were, they really weren't in style until like the early 30s. Um, and, and yet the, the lore has been with us for, you know, like 100 years before that. Um, I guess it's, it's an atavistic thing. Uh, the idea of people turning into animals, was, which was <laughs> the producer of, uh, of The Howling was a guy named Dan Blatt. And um, he thought that this was the greatest thing ever. The idea, uh, he thought that nobody had ever made a movie where it was <laughs> turned into an animal. <laughs> and he, just, he was so excited by this idea, and I we had just groundbreaker. Had to sit him down and try to explain that this is actually part of a whole thing. You know?
2: <laughs> and um, in fact, when yeah. I was working at Avco Embassy doing publicity on this, they avoided showing that it was a werewolf movie because they thought it would be too well, old fashioned. Old hat. They thought it was old, old hat. Yeah. They,
1: were, they were afraid it was going to look like something wow. from the late late. You, you guys met on the Howling.
2: We met before we then. We met a little. We did, met at yeah. Universal
1: actually. Okay. He used to yeah. have he used to have a little cubbyhole office down at the bottom of the um, Hitchcock Building.
2: Yeah, under the commissary, <laughs> and I I knew what was for lunch every day by stink.
3: <laughs> <laughs> Gilbert, Gilbert, oh. why don't you share your theory? Since Joe is talking, and Joe <clears throat> talks about connecting uh, a, a werewolf to adolescence and yeah. puberty, why don't you share your fascinating theory with the Horror Masters?
0: Well, it's like uh, Frankenstein is a baby. Uh, he's like, comes into the world and he's scared and he just wants love. Uh, the Wolfman is someone not in control, uh, like, of their body and voice and everything changing. So that's adolescence and Dracula is just what every man wants to be. (laughs) You know, he's got control over women, he's got control over everything.
3: And the mummy is is, uh, is old age? The old yeah, one. Yeah,
0: <laughs>
3: <laughs> this, this was a theory he came up with one day. I like oh, it.
0: He's, yeah. he's sort of insightful. All, all the life
3: marks. Yeah, it's, it's <laughs> insightful.
0: Oh, there, there's another movie that uh, are on one of your things, and I, I remember I saw it. It's a strange one. Bride of the Gorilla. <laughs> yeah, I, I did that your, one. Your, yeah. Lon Cheney Jr., Raymond Burr, and Barbara Payton. And uh, you know, it's funny because The Wolfman uh, was originally written to be like a psychological horror that you didn't know if he w- was actually turning into a werewolf. Universal said, no, we want an actual monster. And that's what he, he wound up doing Bride of the Gorilla and made it like psychological.
1: Or tried to. It's still got a gorilla on yeah. it. Oh yeah. yeah.
0: <laughs> it, it's Janos Prohaska, right? Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. Wasn't guy Bob Burns in cheap gorilla suit. <laughs> <laughs> and um and we did I, a whole
3: episode about those gorilla films. Remember Gilbert? Oh,
0: yes, yes. Yeah, well, you got oh. you gotta
1: if you do an episode of, about gorillas, you gotta invite John Landis and Rick Baker. They, okay, oh, well we had uh,
0: Rick. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah.
3: We'll get you on in at some point. We did. What, what, what was it? Uh, it? Was "Murders in the Rue had an ape, didn't it? Oh I yes, yeah. Well, it and had I, two it, apes.
1: It had a guy in a suit. That's it right. Had, uh, a real ape, but the guy in the suit is creepier than the real ape.
0: <laughs> the, the Ain't three, that the way? <laughs> the Three Stooges had a bunch of uh, ones. The Mox Brothers in uh, at the circus every. Yeah, well, gorillas was... were
1: Gorillas were very popular and, and that gorilla suit You know Saw a lot of wear I mean There were like two or three guys Who specialized <laughs> it Crash in Corrigan
3: One of those guys
1: Yeah Crash Corrigan is one yeah, of them yeah. And uh Gamora Oscar. Is another yeah. one That's and right they, they all had their own suits and That's right Bob had Burns had a suit Specific ways of uh, And Bob Burns Used to play a gorilla And yeah. Don McLeod. Yeah
2: Correct a, Yeah
3: on, on the subject of the howling, and we don't want, just want to talk about deceased people, but we can't we can't let you go, Joe, without telling us something about the great John Carradine. Well,
1: well you know, at this time some, he, was, some memory. he was taking anything that came down the pike, you know, mm-hmm. uh, because he uh, he he often didn't even see the movies he was in. He just took he got the, and he was had a, had a, he prided himself on his memory because he was uh, he could he could come in and have learned the wrong part, and if you sent him over into a corner, he'd come back in twenty minutes and he'd learned a new part. Um, and so he was, hes a pro, you know, uh, and, uh, in this picture, I, I, tried to get him in Piranha, but, uh, to play the part that Keenan Wynn ended up playing, but, um, he didn't have a high enough TV Q, which is, uh, oh. at that time you had, you, oh couldn't, my you God. couldn't hire people for movies that didn't have a network. Okay. Because most of the movies, if they didn't make it in theatrical, they had to make it when they sold it to a network and that's when they would go into profit. So you had a specific set of people that you could hire. And he didn't make the cut on that one. But on this one, um, I, I, I everybody in the cast was exactly who I wanted and uh and he was um he was just a total pro, except he came to work all the time and he would he would bring his own food because he was so used to being shortchanged on the sets of some of these crappy movies that he was doing. Wow. And he his the heat was off on his trailer for like, you know, three days and he didn't tell anybody because he figured nobody would fix it anyway. Oh. Um, it wow. was, he was But he was, he was a lovely guy. And uh, I, I ended up doing the slates on that movie so that I could hear stories from him. Uh, <laughs> and he would go on while they were doing the lighting and stuff. And I'd sit there and wait. And then and then we'd be just about to do a take and I'd, I'd, I'd go uh, action, through the slate, and then I'd realize I have to do another take or else I wouldn't hear the end of the story. <laughs> <laughs>
2: My mother used to see him walk down Hollywood Boulevard rehearsing Shakespeare out <laughs> to the public, just yes, out there to nobody on Hollywood Boulevard. While this was in, you know, the 1940s. Yep, and, used to do that. Uh, He's a yeah,
3: Shakespearean actor. Yeah. I don't think anybody has a longer IMDb page than John Carradine. No, he I mean, shorter. it's it's you know watching the howling last night, Joe, to prep for this, and I see these people. I see Forrest Ackerman. I see your friend. I see Slim Pickens up there. I see Dick Miller. I, I you know I I see. You saw uh, me. Uh, yes, you're you're the guy <laughs> on the couch at the end yeah. with the TV guide. I saw you. I screamed when I saw you. I mean, these are these are these are these are treasures. They're irreplaceable people. But here's your reward joe for telling that story uh gilbert is going to do his maria Uspenskaya for you
0: oh. <laughs> yeah. the way you walk is thorny through no fault of your own but as the rain enters the soil the river enters the stream so tears go on to a protestant end. Find peace for a moment, my son. <laughs> what a memory.
3: Are you disturbed by that? Uh, <laughs> Let's talk about you. Go ahead, Gil.
0: Oh, uh, Chico's daughter uh, went to... Uh, what? what maxine uh, marx yeah maxine marx chico's daughter uh went to uh maria spinskaya for acting lessons oh, and wow. i and talk about <laughs> wanting a moment in history that i wish someone had filmed uh she uh maria spinskaya, Went out to dinner with Chico Marks. <laughs> and to me, that's like, why wasn't that on camera? Uh, should
2: have been the cover of Photoplay.
0: Yeah.
3: <laughs> As we wind down, I'm going to have you guys plug your podcast, but congrats are in order. Mick, you were rewarded the uh, Master of Horror Award from the Overlook Film Festival. Congratulations. Yes. And the Thank Grim fest an axe. life.
1: He usually brings it with him, but he's probably going to have
3: it And, and, and uh, he's getting up to get it. He's getting the axe. We're not a visual podcast. Ooh, that's, oh, look that's at the that. pun. I'm oh, getting the axe. Oh, yeah.
2: Look at that. Is that a real axe? It is indeed a chrome Holy axe. Joe has
1: one, too. Mm-hmm. Jeez. Wow. I had to try to get mine home on an airplane, though. That was <laughs>
3: Mick, you also won the GrimFest, you were awarded the GrimFest Life Achievement Award. Congratulations.
2: Thank you. It was an amazing weekend, and it was very humbling, uh, particularly the Nightstream Axe Award, because Joe and a bunch of other filmmakers uh, I I admire tremendously um, were there to to give their best wishes at that, and it was, uh, you know, kind of... Humbling and and exciting, and forgive me the sin of pride for those awards, but it was pretty amazing.
3: And Joe, you uh, you were recently given the Lifetime Achievement Award by the Luca Film Festival in Italy. And yes, Chat I Film? was. It's
1: it makes you makes you start thinking about how many years you've got left. <laughs> <laughs> Lifetime achievement of... means you're done.
3: Yeah. <laughs> and the, and the, you were honored by the uh, the Salem Horror Fest and the Chat Film Fest Lifetime Achievement Award.
1: They just they just love me as long as I'm alive.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Let's
3: plug these wonderful podcasts, Mick.
2: Postmortem. Yes. Postmortem is in its fourth season. We've been down since the uh, demise of Fangoria, which is rising again from the flames with a different owner. But uh, we, this is an exclusive for you. We will be back Halloween week for the first time in several months. Wonderful. And uh, we have some killer people coming on and I, I probably shouldn't say, but Patton Oswalt is among them.
3: Whoa, we love Patton. Yeah.
2: He's the greatest and knows this genre so well and loves it so deeply. And it was a, a great coup to get somebody unexpected for our show.
3: Yeah, I heard Joe Dante on that podcast. He was pretty good. <laughs>
2: Yeah, we've had him on a couple of times. Once yeah, with John so obviously Landis. Obviously,
1: I'll do anybody's podcast. <clears throat> obviously,
2: <laughs> he did oh. one on on horror and politics with John Landis. That was our second show ever. Got him and a lot of hate mail. Only two. Oh, oh, the okay. only two bad reviews <laughs> were that one, because all three of us kind of <laughs> got political.
3: Yeah, I know, and I know, I know where you guys stand. Bless your hearts. You're on, the, you're on the right side of things. Joe, talk about uh, The Movies That Made Me, a, a wonderful show with you and Josh Olson.
1: Uh, yeah. Josh Olson came to me and said he wanted he thought we should do a podcast for Trailers from Hell. And I said, that sounds like a lot of work. And he said, no, 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 it's not. I, I'll do the work, I'll I'll, I'll book it, and, I'll, and I won't even tell you what it's about. You just show up every week and uh, meet the guests and um, it will surprise you with what the topics are. And that was, a, 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 I think we just did our 100th uh, podcast. It's a terrific show, uh, and, uh, or, and we also got our millionth view. I think um, wow! So it, it turned out to be much more popular than I imagined, and and it, the quality, uh, ironically, has gone up since we stopped recording in person because now we have access to more people than there are that want to go to Burbank. <laughs> yeah,
3: that's, that's that's the double-edged sword. But you get the audio challenges of doing it at home.
1: It's true. Yeah. It is a, it is an audio challenge. But as you as you guys have learned, um, you know there there is. Um, there's some merit to being able to have access to people who don't live in the same town you do. And now That's that this is the, 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 uh, the horror movie year 2020, the year that wasn't, um, we've all got uh, a lot more people under our belt than we would if we had to drag them kicking and screaming into our uh, presence. Sure. Two. Yeah. We, yeah, we would how gotten...
2: we got Alan Arkin. We wouldn't have gotten Stephen King if we didn't do it remotely. We wouldn't have gotten Guillermo del Toro uh, for a postmortem. And it really is. It's a mixed blessing, but it's mostly good in that we have access to people like Joe said that we never would have otherwise had.
3: Because people are home because they're not because they're not working.
2: Yeah,
1: they're not working. And then and that gives them more time to listen to podcasts. Ironically, though, most of the time they listen to podcasts used to be in the car. And now most of them aren't going anywhere in the car. They have to just sort of sit down and, you know, listen to the podcast while they're vacuuming or something.
2: <laughs> you know, I hike five miles a day, so that's when I do it.
0: <laughs> and, you know, two other guests I just thought of that we've had on the podcast. Well, one, Dee Wallace. Dee was oh, great. Emma Howling. She what a great terrific, guest. Terrific. Mm-hmm. And the other one, we 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 interviewed Donnie Donegan.
3: Oh, oh yeah. Right. And, yeah, well, the last living cast member of Son of Frankenstein. Yeah. I think it's safe to say.
0: And he was terrific, too. Well, hello. Yeah. <laughs> he, that is so idiotic. <laughs> how, how, what resemblance does Donnie Donegan and Basil Rathbone? Hey, hey, listen,
1: <laughs> Basil Rathbone is playing a part they asked Peter Laurie to play.
0: Yeah, sure. Now is there
1: anybody who doesn't look like Colin Clive more than Peter Laurie? <laughs> Gil, you gotta do a little Peter Laurie for Joe and Mick.
0: Yeah. But no, it's you who ruined it. You at your stupid attempt to buy it. Kevin found out how valuable it was. No wonder he had such an easy time getting it. You idiot! You (laughs) blundering fathead!
1: Now, actually, you you think that was him? But it was actually a real recording of of here in Maltese spoken. Gilbert's pretty been good. doing this for years. Uh,
3: there's, a, there's a lot of call for this, by the way. Gilbert Gilbert no gets t- tons of requests for his John MacGyver. Yes. <laughs> Before we let you guys... At- Go ahead, Gil.
0: <laughs> Everything in this company must be done according to schedule. We will not have any slackers working here. I am the captain of the ship. <laughs>
1: you were saying.
0: Do you, know,
2: do, you,
3: do you guys know Andrew Bergman, the director? Yeah, they're, never they're, met they're, him, but certainly know Writer yeah. of the in-laws, he cannot get enough of Gilbert's John MacGyver <laughs> I- impression. Who can? Before we get <laughs> you guys, before we guys get you guys out of here, uh, a couple of plugs. Uh, Amazon Women on the Moon coming to Blu-ray. Yes. In, in November. Yeah. And Gilbert actually did roast a dead person, Joe.
0: <laughs> oh, uh, Bogota?
3: Yeah. <laughs> yes. The scene in the movie where Harvey Pitnick, played by the great Archie Hahn, gets roasted. Gilbert actually did this, so it is life-imitating art.
0: Yeah, I roasted. I, I, uh, I was at Abe Vigoda's funeral. And I was standing over the coffin insulting Abe <laughs>
1: He must at, have earned it. At least his time less.
3: What's the HBO uh, uh, Mogwai uh, project?
1: Uh? Oh, it's called Secrets of the Mogwai. It's an animated Magway. prequel um, about uh, Mr. Wing, the Key loop character, when he was a little boy in Shanghai mm-hmm. and how he got involved with uh, the Mogwai gizmo. And uh, I've seen the first uh, three episodes, and it's, it's pretty cool. It's, I think, uh, a, a little unexpected. I don't think it's quite what people... <laughs> Uh, think it's gonna be but it's really charming and um, I think it's gonna be good it's probably not gonna be on until next year
3: okay so stuff going on and what is the status uh, if there is status on the man with kaleidoscope eyes
1: it's uh, where it was in February and then it just stopped (laughs) like everything else (laughs) and we're hoping that once this once this once we get out from under this cloud this toxic cloud and I don't just mean the disease uh, that we will uh, be able to uh, get back to what we were doing. All of us.
3: well, there's a, there's a Herman Mankiewicz movie coming out, so there 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 should be a Roger Corman. No, thing. I agree. I agree. Yeah, yeah.
2: Mick, tell us about the book. Ah, these evil things we do. It's um, my second novel and four novellas put together for the first time. One of which is new. They are all uh, rather intense in different ways, and we've had very kind responses and quotes from. People like Stephen King and Clive Barker and Joe Dante and other esteemed members of the horror gensia, um, and uh, it is available at Amazon as a paperback or an ebook, a Kindle book. And I'm uh, I, I'm pretty excited about it. It's being really well received.
3: And let's plug that Dick Miller book, uh, Joe, which is called "You Don't Know Me, But You Love Me."
1: Right. Which, it's, which, uh, more, a, we've
3: done some, we've done a pretty good job of moving books here on this show, so oh, I'd good. like to get the word out. Books
1: books need to be moved. <laughs> yes. Yeah.
2: Books.
3: yeah. And, and Mick, what, what is the, the status of, uh, of Jimmy Miracle?
2: Will that Jimmy ever, uh, Miracle happy? was something, an idea that I'd had uh, decades ago, and it helped get me work at the beginning of my career. And I've just recently reworked it. Uh, it is about to go out to producers right now. And, um, My managers are kind of, it's, it's mainstream, you know, it's, it's not a horror story. It has slightly supernatural elements, but it's something very character driven. And it's a period movie set in 1936, and it will be going out in the next week or two. But it's, it's a brand new take on an older idea that I
3: You guys are busy in a pandemic. Yeah. Somebody's got to be impressive <laughs> i want to tell well, our, what's
1: the choice yeah
3: I, I tell our listeners to find nightmare cinema which was great uh and uh also masters of horror um and if you haven't seen matinee please see matinee which uh and, and mick i loved riding the bullet too oh thank you which is thank obviously a, my a per- lesser
2: known my lesser known halloween <laughs> movie after a, hocus pocus Yeah.
3: a personal film and yet yeah, hocus pocus is back
2: yeah, boy number one at, number at the one. box office yeah 27 years after the fact. <laughs> Gilbert, want to
3: let these men uh, get on with their lives?
0: Oh, not really. I'm... <laughs> oh, go
1: ahead. Let's.
3: Okay, before, before you go, Joe, dealer's choice, or not dealer's choice, but uh, one story quick about either Christopher Lee or Brother <laughs> Theodore.
1: Oh, well, I'll do Brother Theodore because he's less known, but uh, he was uh, so deaf. That um, <laughs> we had to, we had to very, be very careful when we mixed the movie because the other actors would have to speak up really loudly to, for him to hear his cues. So sometimes we would have to go back and do looping to hide the fact that they were giving him extra loud cues. <laughs> There's a story. Oh,
3: <laughs> the Burbs is a big following, by the way. It does, uh, it's huge.
2: And rightly so.
3: Yes. It's, it's huge. We want to thank you guys for doing this and being part of this Halloween show. And I will tell our listeners, too, to find your podcasts. They're great. The Movies That Made Me with Joe and Josh Olson and Mick's wonderful post-mortem, which continues for you, Mick, a career of interviewing people.
2: Yeah, started early, including Christopher Lee back in 1979. Yeah,
3: Malcolm McDowell was on the podcast with us last week and told us some wonderful Christopher Lee stories that we'll send you guys. Okay. Great!
2: They I must've... actually did a scene with him, acted in a scene in John Landis's *The Stupids*, but the scene got cut.
1: Oh no. I, I played
2: one of his henchmen,
3: and the stand is on Blu-ray too now, Mick. It's and now it's a documentary. <laughs>
2: yes, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it looks better than ever. They actually went back to the negative, and uh, and went and did a high-def. Uh, transfer in it which looks is great because you don't often
1: get that with things that were cut on on video
2: yeah it was standard def video shot on 16 millimeter film which was very uncommon at the time but it looks better than ever and the new version of the stand is coming out in december so i can't wait to see that and i actually have a cameo in it fantastic you Thanks, guys are I-
3: everywhere thank you for doing this gilbert's going to do a sign off
0: and and as a monster kid, I thank you both for coming on. Thanks just, for having us. Yeah, because nothing I like talking about more than old monsters. <laughs> <laughs> and so uh, this has been Gilbert Gottfried's amazing colossal podcast with my co-host Frank Santo Padre, and we have been talking to Joe Dante and Mick Garris.
3: A couple of monster kids. Happy Halloween, gentlemen. Thank you for doing this. You too.
2: Uh, All the best. Take care and stay safe.